The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. People always comment on how there's never any time for socializing at the center. And basically we're afraid of the noise. <laughs> we can tolerate about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and then we just gong it away. And then when you're fully, more fully awake, then you can actually handle having a personality, having friends. But for the rest of us, we remain in kindergarten, aspiring to be there someday. It's a joke. (laughs) But there's some truth to it, right? We're learning actually how to more fully inhabit this sort of predicament we're in, where we're sharing this world, not just with other human beings, and not just with other human beings that are different than us, but with other living species as well. Right, all swirling, life-eating life, which complicates things, and not having enough. And then with human beings, we have this imagination. So we can imagine things that scare us, and we can imagine things that seduce us. Right? So we not only have what's happening directly in our experience, but we're also having to manage whatever it is we're imagining in any moment which sometimes is the more challenging part of the moment, what we're imagining. So I'm beginning a series of talks. I started last week with, uh, on this topic of sila. Sila is the Pali word for ethical conduct, morality, integrity. I prefer this more operational word of you know, deeply valuing non-harming because it just just makes it seem more like, oh yeah, I get that. I get how sort of interesting the idea of non-harming is, how much initial respect I might have for this value of non-harming, and how impossible, like it in a sense really kicks our butt, because we don't really know what that means to commit to non-harming, to living in ways that support my well-being and the well-being of others, and not holding anybody's well-being, anybody's welfare above another. And um, one of the things I want to, in particular, focus in on today is the healing quality of living with this value of non-harming. And specifically... As Ajahn Tanisaro, this Buddhist monk, talks about it, you know, the, the raw wounds of remorse, so when we act in ways that we don't feel good about, we cheat or we harm another person in some way or harm ourselves, act in destructive ways that cause ourselves harm, the remorse we feel for having been unskillful, that's, it lives in our heart as a, kind of open wound, you know, like as soon as we're a little quiet, we realize, oh my God, I said that, I did that, right? You know that feeling? So that's one of the wounds of, you know, not respecting this value of non-harming. 
I'm part of this world. I'm part of the reason the world is the way that it is. You know, we just in a you know, small story, I mean, relatively speaking, where there, I don't know why, there's been a sequence of stories over the last number of months on plastics being everywhere, you know, and the microplastics in the deepest part of the oceans and finding them in the brains of living species, all in the guts. And, and then to realize, you know, how nice it is to put things in plastic bags. You know, and I have, we shopped at Trader Joe's the other day, and, you know, a lot of the vegetables at Trader Joe's are nicely packaged in plastic bags for us. And, and it's like the sort of things we tend to be unconscious about, but instead of feeling complicit, same thing with our nice, whatever that means to nice neighborhoods that <clears throat> feel safe. But what are the you know what are the implications of that safety? You know that we're sort of creating barriers. I mean, in the big way, just around our borders. Okay, this is where I live, not where you live. And just barriers to entry, and this has a lot to do with racism. When you dig down into the history of racism, in particular in this country. A lot of what has institutionalized racism and uh, poverty that has often come with it is the sort of uh, kind of laws and practices around real estate and who gets to buy into what neighborhoods and who gets loans. And, but mostly we're unaware of how we are part of these systems of causing harm. We can sort of um, imagine that doesn't involve me, doesn't include me. But yet, we can learn to be sensitive. And actually, it's part of healing. Because part of the dis-ease in our hearts is not being connected. This is the other. So there's the open wounds of having remorse, like, oh my God, I did that, I said that, I thought that. But um, Ajahn Tanisaro talks about the other wound, which he likens to these uh, scar tissues, you know, gnarly scar tissues, where we've had a bad wound, but we've sort of done our best to cover it up. But the scar tissue is, so it gets calloused or gets hardened, and it makes it hard, you know, to have a body or to have that part of the body. And this is the places of denial. He likens it to the places of denial, where we somehow imagine that it's not my responsibility or it's not my fault or I don't need to be concerned about that. It's other people who are polluting. There are other people who are racists. There are other people who are causing these um, patterns of economic injustice in the world. It's not me, you know. And we set ourselves apart. But that disconnection are those gnarly, ossified wounds. We actually want to move in the direction of being more and more sensitive. Realizing 
like even as we take a walk in the woods, that might seem harmless. But taking a walk in the woods is probably a good thing. And we're probably stepping on creatures as we're walking in the woods. Right? So how does that change it? Or you know, when we eat food, to realize regardless of the choices we make when we eat, you know, unless we just happen to be someplace where an apple's falling and it lands in our hand, right, and it doesn't have a worm in it and we eat it, even then, who knows? But, you know, it's complicated. It's complex. The enormity of complexity. And yet, we can really value this not harming because it takes us in the direction of sensitivity. And and our heart becomes lighter. And this is what we, it's really the reason to spend a month or so looking at this teaching. You know, when the Buddha taught, um, he just didn't teach about meditation. He really, you know, understanding his own heart, understanding what ails human beings, what causes dis-ease or anxiety in human beings, he diagnosed his own problem, came up with a cure, undertook the treatment plan, and presumably became free of the ailment of suffering. That's kind of a provocative thing. And then taught in a way, the same way, where he sort of, okay, I diagnosed my own problem. Seems like you have the same disease, you other human beings. Here's the problem, right? Greed, anger, and delusion arising from wrong view, the view of being apart, self-centeredness, right? Here's the treatment plan. Here's the treatment plan. Purify your actions, your thoughts, words, and deeds with mindful awareness. Purify your heart with mindful awareness. Purify your view, your views, the way you view or understand with awareness. And so sila is purifying our actions, our relatedness with awareness, which means that this is what I talked about last week. It was recorded. You can listen to the talks. I think I recorded two of the talks last week about moral sensitivity and how important the sensitivity is. And I mentioned last week, we're not, you know, in a Buddhist sense, we're not really a human being until we're sensitive. That, like, at the end of the day or the end of any action, if we have the wherewithal to check in, the heart's sensitive enough to know, oh, that didn't feel so good, what I just thought or what I just said or what I just did. Or, that feels pretty good. I don't feel any trace, any negative heavy trace from what I've just thought, said, or done. And that's, that's what it really means to be, I mean, a human being, if we want to define a human being as opposed to maybe other species, right? a human being is someone, is a living creature that can reflect in that way. That where it really matters, like I'm not sure it matters. You know, I don't know what comes to mind when we think of a 
unskillful animal, you know, gila monsters in the desert or the, you know, often, I don't know, for whatever reason, reptiles get a bad rap, you know, so the snakes and the lizards and the whatever, you know, I'm not sure greed, anger, delusion is going to reverberate in their hearts. If there's a lot of grasshoppers and the garden stake goes to town, you know, I don't know if that greediness is going to reverberate in any way in their heart. But I'm pretty sure for some of us human beings, if we're greedy in a way taking more than maybe is just to take, I'm guessing for a certain number of us, we'll feel the impact of that. Or if we use our power, our size, our strength, our money to take advantage of others, I'm guessing that if we actually checked in and allow the mind, heart to be sensitive, we would feel something that wouldn't feel so good if we're a human being, if we're a healthy human being. Now, I, I can imagine that, you know, depending on people's particular circumstances, how they're raised, the kind of trauma and abuse that people might have experienced, that a lot of that sensitivity isn't really available because of, you know, the causes and conditions in their lives. But when we're fortunate enough to not having not having been, not having been abused or oppressed, overwhelmed by life, we have this possibility for sensitivity. And then the question is, what are we going to do with it? And there is this spiritual path, this healing path, that really requires this sensitivity. And the sensitivity, part of that sensitivity is humility. Because one of the things that blocks the sensitivity, and this is part of what I was talking about, the gnarly, ossified, scarred quality of our life, is like thinking it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I buy when I go shopping. It doesn't matter how I treat those people. They're not part of my group. You know, they're over there, they live over there, they're different than me. In the same way we think about mosquitoes. It doesn't matter if I put out ant traps that kill the ants in the ant nest. It doesn't matter if I... Well, from a Buddhist point of view, we start off with a lot of humility. doesn't matter, right? Because we have the sensitive heart. We can find out whether it matters. We d- it doesn't matter or we don't take our cue from somebody who tells us that it doesn't matter or from some habit we have that says it doesn't matter, we actually check it out. Does it matter when I act in this way, think in this way, speak in this way? And we have this sensitive heart. Like we notice the trace or the if there's any residue. And does it feel good, the residue? clean, light, free, or does it feel heavy? Now, nobody's making us be a moral human being or someone who's committed to sila. It's really a choice. And if you choose not to be interested 
in sila, in ethical conduct, morality, this commitment to non-harming, it makes sense to notice what it's like to reject this training, right? I mean, because presumably we'd reject this because it's, it's a bother, that it just makes life worse, right? Because we wouldn't reject it if we really thought it made life better. So if we really think being a moral, ethically wise person with a lot of integrity, if we really think it doesn't help, then go ahead, live oblivious to it, but notice how your life is going. You know, like, are you becoming the person you want to become? When you go to sleep at night, how does it feel? You know, do you feel haunted by your actions, by your choices? And I really trust this about the way the Buddha teaches because it's not this condemning morality from up high judging us. We're, you know, we're using the healing formula from the Buddha which makes us a more and more sensitive human being. And then instead of experiencing or deciding that that sensitivity is a problem, we put it to good use. So as we move through life and we get involved in relationships and we get involved in the economy, earning our living, and we get involved in social issues, how do we all, all of us, with our own different lived experience, how do we get along, how do we share this world that we're living in together, not just with other human beings, but even with other species. And what does it mean to be responsible for who comes after us? These are really big questions. And then we uh, move into those kind of questions with a lot of humility, not expecting that we know, but expecting that I can feel what it feels like. So I'll make a choice and I'll feel what it feels like. I'll try something out. I'll say this to this person that I'm attracted to. Or I'll say this to this person that is bothering me. And I'll notice what it feels like to have said that, or thought that, or done that. And then I have the next moment to sort of make amends, or double down, or, you know. But we're really relying on the humility and the sensitivity That's what it means to be a moral human being. And it initially may appear more complicated or more exposed. It is more complicated and exposed. But it's liberating too. And that's for each of us to find out that the alternative is to sort of feel the wounds because we're still going to feel badly when, you know, we act in ways that don't align with the deepest truth. And the deepest truth is we're all in this together and all ideas of separation or all ideas of being apart are just that. They're just ideas. So whenever we act out, whenever we act as if ideas of separation are somehow fundamentally true, the heart is going to express that ignorance because it's just not the way it is. 
separation, difference, these are constructions of the mind. No, 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 I'm here, you're there, that's real. Well, we need a lot of humility about how compelling our ideas of the world are. Because I totally get that ideas of separation and difference and this matters, but that doesn't matter. My well-being matters more than your well-being. My comfort matters more than your comfort. I totally get that these are compelling ideas. And the world has been run, basically, dominated by these compelling ideas of difference for a long time. And as a spiritual being, we're not taking anything based on culture, based on what people in the past have told us. We're checking it out. We're cultivating the sensitivity. And we're checking it out. We're navigating our life with sensitivity, moment by moment. We get this all the time, you know. Do I get involved in politics? If so, you know, do, what do I do? Do I give money to a candidate? How much? Or it's not my business, causes and conditions, things will play out as they play out, the whole thing's corrupt anyway. Just have my little, I'll just act locally. But even acting locally, like do I say something to the neighbor who's driving down the alley too fast or, you know, who does this or does that? And so there's, it's so obvious that we should have a lot of humility and that just because it's complex doesn't mean that we feel better not engaging the complexity of the moment. One of the, I think, tried and true experiences of feeling better, just on that most basic level, is when we go for it. <laughs> you know, we don't hold back. We do our best. Isn't that true? But in humility. Like, it's not like we're pretending we know like, whether this person will like me or whether this is the right job for me or whether I could even move in this direction in my life. But we feel better going for it, engaging, showing up. Life is to be lived, you know, it's not to be avoided. And it's really, this relates to ethical conduct or living with integrity, living in a beautiful way. As I mentioned last week, it, it's it described in some way as a real beauty, sila is, morality is. It's like the, I mentioned last week, the most direct way to happiness. Cultivating the sensitivity that allows us to move forward moment by moment as if everything matters. What I say, what I think, what I do matters. Because it really then allows us, like we might wrongly think, oh my God, I'm so aware of all the mistakes I, I am making, I might make. But we, we can just put it in the other direction. I'm so happy to be sensitive all the good things that can be set in motion by through my thoughts, words, and actions, all the unhelpful things that can be avoided through my thoughts, words, and actions, right? You see how it can be 
really an empowering thing. Now I know what to do with my human life. Avoid the unskillful, gravitate towards the skillful, and all at the same time cultivate more sensitivity so I know the difference between what's unskillful and what's skillful. That's exactly the summation of the Buddhist teachings that he gave. Avoid what's unskillful. Avoid what leads, leaves some of that weight in your heart. Avoid that. Makes sense. Cultivate, do what leads a good, leaves a good taste in your heart, your sensitive heart. And cultivate a heart that's really, really sensitive. Beautiful balance. No fixed view because fixed views distorts the sensitivity. If I'm established in my fixed view, then I'm not, I'm using the fixedness of that view, what I'm believing in, to sort of substitute from just being present and seeing directly cause and effect. Like when this happens, what's left over? What's the reverberation? When somebody acts in this way, when I act in this way, what gets set in motion? Is it helpful or not? And you know, we all have, probably from our early years of development, we all have this sense of wanting to look to a savior, our parents basically, to take care of us. And you know, obviously we need that as mammals more than so many other species. You know, we're so dependent on our caregiver for so many years, really, where we just would not be able to survive. I don't know how many years a kid, before a kid could really survive on their own, but, you know, a lot. And uh, so we have this sense of being good at being a student and just sort of following along. I always think of this, you know, when you get in a car and there's somebody you trust behind the wheel, You notice how you just want to go to sleep. It's like, okay. And I I think it's because when a mother or father or whatever caregiver picked up a child and they're, you know, because for how many million years we weren't settled people. We moved around. Hunter-gatherers moving around. And when the parent would pick up the kid, the kid just had to learn how to sort of submit to being on the back of this person and just sort of going for the ride. So, okay. This is not the time to play. This is the time to be passive. And we really learned how to sort of submit to the authority. But we have to grow up, right? And we have to learn how to be independent. And this is really part of really owning our humanity is, sure, it's good to hear from our parents and hear from our respected elders what they think is right and wrong. They're basically sort of giving us roadmaps. But we have to sort of see if that roadmap makes sense in our life. Because one, life changes. So their roadmap may have very little to do with what we're facing, right? But also they might not have been deeply wise. Or they might have been wise in certain pockets in their life. But in other places in their life, they might have been pretty ignorant still. So we have to figure it out for ourselves. So even like with the five precepts that we use in the Buddhist tradition, 
where we undertake the training to refrain from killing. Right? So that's, it's like, okay. So what that, how we use it, it isn't some dictate from above, but it means like, you know, our wise folks in our lineage, they say, whenever you're about to kill, you should really amplify your sensitivity. Does this really feel right? Does this feel skillful? It's not so much don't kill, it's undertake the training to refrain from killing. So then when we have the impulse to kill, it bumps up against this intention to refrain, which gives us some moments to be sensitive. What's this feel like? And the second precept is we undertake the training to refrain from taking what hasn't been given or to refrain from stealing, taking something that's not ours. So now that's sort of an interesting precept because there are a lot of things that it's clear, you know, I think this is mine, I think the consensual reality says this is mine, but there are a lot of things that are sort of interesting. Forget who I was talking. Was I talking to you about the dollar, the $20 bill? <laughs> yeah, Carol bumped into a $20 bill on the ground. That's just sort of an interesting question. Is this mine or not? <laughs> and what we really want is sensitivity to the, to the issue. Is it mine or not? And I noticed, I, I mentioned to her that uh, a while back, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I think it was a $5 bill, but I can't remember exactly. But I noticed the impulse to take it. No one's, someone's going to take it. Why not me? And then I... I noticed the complexity, the moral complexity of taking it. Now, I'm not proud of this. I left it there for someone else to have the moral conundrum. <laughs> I could have owned the complexity and, and wondered, you know, in my heart, what can I do with this that would leave a good reverberation in my heart, right? Because I could have run to the co-op and, you know, got my chocolate or whatever it would be my mocha mocha double this or that. Or, you know, I could have done something that le left a really good taste. Well, there are probably some people who could use this. I'll, the next person who shows up around me that seems to be in need, seems to be sincerely asking for some money, I'm going to pass it on to them. Right? Now, that might have left a good taste. Maybe, maybe not. We'd, ha we'd know, though, if we tried it and stayed sensitive. But it's just interesting that we can't get away from it, thinking that, okay, I'm not going to touch it. I noticed that didn't leave a good flavor. It was subtle, but it was there. It's like, I was afraid. That's really the truth. I was afraid to pick up the $5 bill. I, would afraid, I was afraid that someone would see me and judge me. I was afraid of having to figure out what to do with it. right? And whether. So I thought, it's like the easy way out. But it wasn't because there was an impression left in my heart right, of having avoided my responsibility of being a human being who sees a $5 bill on the ground. Right? That's what showed up in my life. It's the same thing with parents. You know, not being a parent, it's easy for me to speculate. You know, where the kid asks a question and you're tired and you just sort of say yes or whatever or reflexively say no instead of really showing up in the complexity. Like, not that it's appropriate to say it to the kid, but maybe sometimes it is. I don't know what to tell you. Let's talk about this. Let's think about this. 
but kind of really inhabiting that complexity and trusting, learning to trust the sensitivity. Well, let's try this, and then let's check in tomorrow. I'm not saying this is definitively true. Now, I, you know, in some places it's really nice. I mean, one of the nice things about these five trainings is for those of us who need something clear-cut, you know, the Buddha didn't say, like the first precept, undertaking the training to refrain from killing. He didn't say, respect all life. You know, he didn't make it vague. Because we want to really kind of make it clear, or don't steal. It's different than, you know, live in a generous way. The third is undertaking the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. You know, how to be a sexual being, be engaged in sexual activity without causing yourself or anybody harm. The fourth is undertaking the training to refrain from speaking in ways that are not true or speaking in ways that are harsh or idle, like not really adding any value or speaking in ways where your words are a weapon to cause harm, slander. And the fifth is undertaking the training to refrain from intoxicating the mind, purposefully dulling our sensitivity. It's not so much you can't drink or you can't use drugs, but it's like we're totally in need of our sensitivity. Like once you get on a spiritual path, it's basically saying you're valuing being sensitive. Like in a real way, there's no spiritual path without sensitivity. It's not a spiritual path to be following some dictates from some tradition. I mean, you can call that a spiritual path, but an independent spiritual path, somebody who's awakening, means that they've got sensitivity to know the difference between what's helpful and not helpful, right and wrong and you're following your spiritual nose. As we say in the Buddhist tradition, you know, our elders, our wise elders, the Buddha, him or herself, the awakened beings themselves, they can't help us out. They can point the way, they can kind of craft some nice road signs for us to remember, like really pay attention if you're thinking about killing something, really pay attention Get sensitive if you're thinking of taking something that wasn't given to you. Really pay attention if you're thinking of getting intoxicated. Like, are you going to be able to take care of yourself and everybody else if you're really intoxicated? Right. So they can give us road signs, but they can't do the work for us. We have to take our dull and distracted and superficial minds and we have to slowly, gradually cultivate a heart, a mind that's really sensitive, really clear and balanced and feels and sees things deeply, which is not so easy to have a sensitive heart, right? Because we feel things. We think, oh, God, it would be so much easier if I didn't feel how badly it feels when I do that, (laughs) you know? But it actually turns out to be good to feel what we feel when we act out in ways that cause harm. Because then we, we, when we do wake up back to that sensitivity, we go, oh, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to be the person who does that. 
I'll just end by reading. This is, you know, a couple thousand years old. One of the commentator commentators in this early Buddhist tradition, somebody who lived several hundred years after the time of the Buddha, person named Dhammapala, wrote about virtue or sila. The protection, uh, the perfection of sila integrity of non-harming, should be thought of as follows. Even the waters of the Ganges River cannot wash away the stain of hatred, yet the water of virtue, non-harming, is able to do so. Even yellow sandalwood cannot cool the fever of lust, yet virtue is able to remove it. Virtue is the unique adornment of good people, surpassing the adornments cherished by average folk, such as needless headbands, necklaces, and earrings. Virtue should be reflected upon as the basis for rapture and joy, as granting immunity from fear and self uh, the fear of self-reproach, the reproach of others, punishment, and a difficult rebirth. As praised by the wise, as the root cause for freedom from remorse, as the basis for security. Virtue surpasses material wealth because, it, because thieves cannot con- confiscate it. Because it enables one to achieve supreme sovereignty over one's own heart and mind, virtue surpasses the sovereignty of warriors, kings, and priests. Virtue surpasses the achievement of beauty for it makes one beautiful even to one's enemies. It cannot be vanquished by adversaries, the adversaries of aging and sickness. Since it is the foundation for states of happiness, virtue surpasses such dwellings as palaces and mansions. In accomplishing the difficult task of self-protection, virtue is superior to troops of elephants, chariots, and infantry as well as such devices as mantras, spells, and blessings, for it depends on oneself, not on others. Esteeming virtue as the foundation of all achievements, as the soil for all the origination of the Buddha qualities, the beginning and chief of all the qualities issuing in freedom. One should guard diligently through protecting, uh, thoroughly and thoroughly perfect virtue as hen guards its eggs. Kind of earthy. <laughs> I really like that. Just, you know, basically in our Dharma friendships in our own heart, telling stories about virtue that make it seem to us as a beautiful ornament that we live with. Right? This is, this is our wealth that we have this integrity around non-harming. So we have a few minutes before folks come in. Uh, who has the microphone? Somebody have it? Well, we can get it. Thanks, Carrie. But we have time for maybe one comment before we end our time together this morning. Anybody have some reflections what you've been learning in your own life? Yeah, please, start us, or end us. start us and end us. Hi, I'm Jared. Um, I've had this tendency to sit outside whenever possible this spring. Originally, I thought it would be, well, until the mosquitoes keep push me inside. 
Um, I've been thinking about Sila and non-harming and I'm still sitting outside now that the mosquitoes are there, but it's become this, this dance. You know, there is, there is some movement while I'm sitting, but, um, kind of realizing that, yes, I'm going to kill mosquitoes regularly, but in this moment to not have that, that hatred or the irritation with the mosquitoes and just to kind of brush them off. And it's, it's changed my relationship with mosquitoes when I'm not sitting. <laughs> um, I mean, I still kill them occasionally, but it's there, there's a, an awareness and I don't know. It's a, it's a nice to, I guess, come to terms with them a little bit. Yeah. in this state. And it's not all or nothing because when we think of I'm never going to kill another bug, we dismiss that because we know it's impossible. But this mosquito, we can have a loving, respectful relationship with in this moment. That we know. And we're doing it moment by moment. And that attitude that you share, Jared, is really a beautiful teaching and a good place to end today. So let's just take a few seconds. Let go of the words. Appreciate the teachings from our elders that have been passed down for so long, one generation after another. And imagine what we can do with these teachings now as we go out into the world. Thanks for coming, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.